You can see me on the TV screen, but are you aware that even though you can see, it doesn't mean that you're not spiritually blind? What are the causes of spiritual blindness and what are the remedies? Today, let's examine two causes of spiritual blindness and two remedies. Let's allow our minds to be filled by the Spirit of God and by His Word so that we may know whether we are spiritually blind. Two causes of spiritual blindness, inversion and hardness of hearts, and two remedies that we may believe and we may belong. Let's allow God to use the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 26 to teach us how we may diagnose whether we are spiritually blind and ask God to lead us to a cure. The passage today falls neatly into three parts. The miraculous healing of the 4,000, the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, and the miraculous healing of the blind men. So two miraculous incidents sandwiching one particular warning. The warning not to be spiritually blind. What is inversion? Scripture teaches us that God can touch man and transform us. And when God enlightens man, what happens is that man will then use the lens of God's revelation to interpret our experience. When we are spiritually blind, what happens is that we use our human experience to govern our lives and we then minimize God to the smallest possible space, to the smallest possible corner in our lives at best. God is a decoration, an inconvenient one at times, and at worst, we totally kick him out of our lives. The disciples in Mark chapter 6, just two chapters before the chapter today, had witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. But yet, the passage tells us very, very clearly, when Jesus saw and had compassion on the 4,000 crowd today, and he said this, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. The disciples replied. Instead of thinking about the feeding of the 5,000 that just occurred two chapters ago, they replied, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? My friends, you see, the disciples, some of them were fishermen. They are used to going out to fish. They are used to collecting the fishes in the boats. They are used to dragging the fishes up to shore. They are used to a supply chain. So even though they had recently witnessed the feeding of the 5,000, they couldn't connect the dots. Would Jesus do it again? Would Jesus do it again? After all, maybe he's a one-trick pony. Maybe that was the first and the last time. Can we trust him to do it again? This is not our usual method of doing things. It's not the usual method that we feed people. Inversion. Their life experience all these years overrode the powerful, miraculous feeding of the 5,000 and blinded them from seeing the possibility in today's passage. As a non-Christian, I come from a non-Christian family myself, and I went into medicine. One of the challenges as a non-Christian is this. When we read about miracles in the Bible, we ask ourselves, we have been so used to a rational way of life. Can we even believe that there are miracles? But yet, I put it to you, it's untested, isn't it? We don't test our assumptions. 
we who are rational often allow ourselves to believe that the whole entire universe came out of nothing. In other words, we believe that from nothing, spontaneously it became something, and from that something, it became life. And then we start to believe that that life can continue to grow, can become systematized, and from random aggregation of impersonal atoms, we then become personal beings who love and desire to love. My friends, you and I who think so highly about our rational minds, I ask you today, are you aware how many miracles you and I need just to sustain that line of thought? From nothing to something to love. The desire to love and to be loved. From impersonal, random nothingness to something, to someone, to love and to be loved. Try proposing to a girl and say, the basis of my love for you is random nothingness. See how far you get. Francis Creek, the person who described the DNA double helical structure is a known atheist, and he has this to say, there is no possible way that the DNA molecule could have kick-started on Earth randomly. So Francis Crick acknowledged that there was no possible way. But because Francis Crick is an atheist and he refused to acknowledge God's hand in creation, he appealed to aliens. So literally, the person who described the double helical structure of DNA chose to believe that aliens created or aliens was part of the formation of life in the universe. What is an alien? Essentially, the word alien simply means something foreign, isn't it? So I put it to you. I ask you today, let's be fair. You and I who are scientific, let's be fair. If you and I choose only to doubt God, I put it to you, that is not fair. A true hypothesis at the end of the day has to be even-handed. Today, will you also consider doubting your own doubts? The reality, my friends, is that we all believe in miracles and that if you and I choose otherwise, then where will we be? Today, I urge you, doubt your own doubts and talk to Jesus today. If you are a Christian, how then do we identify spiritual blindness in our lives? In churches, a common line of thought used to excuse messy situations is this. Everybody means well. And then we kind of accept that line of thought and kind of just limp on in life. Everybody means well. We don't settle any real issues. We don't engage with the issues of the day. We don't engage with the heart of God. We are very contented. We are very easily contented to say that as long as we mean well, that should be sufficient for God and that should be sufficient for us. But with time, that really, truly doesn't satisfy our hearts at all. Let me ask you this. If you went home one day, for those of us who are married, when your husband comes home and say, I really mean well, what does he really mean? What does he really mean? When your husband says, I really mean well, wives who have been married for a while will know this. What the husband is really saying is this. Something is really not well. When you are a patient and you wake up from surgery and the first words of your surgeon go something like this, 
I really meant well. My friends, I assure you, you better be praying. If you look at the text today, the disciples meant well when they asked, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? They meant well, but they were locked in. People who mean well can be spiritually blind, my friends. As a church group, are we blind? Are we contented with simply meaning well? But today's passage is a powerful reminder that Jesus is a God of compassion. The text clearly says to us that I have compassion for these people. It's a real challenge that we need to move from our lived experience to seek the heart of God. The next time in church when you hear someone says, we all mean well, invite the person, come for a prayer meeting, let's seek the heart of God together. My friends, today is an invitation from the Lord to us. Where are we with Him? Do we even understand how our hearts are aligned with His purpose and His will? Or are we contented simply to mean well? I remember a particularly painful lunch I had many years ago. My sister had just graduated at that time and wanted to invite my parents and I up for a lunch. She brought us to a very nice Italian restaurant. My parents, coming from a not-so-well-to-do background, was very concerned about the price of the meal. The entire time of the meal was spent debating whether we should be there in the first place. The meal ended painfully with intergenerational conflict. Both sides meant well, but the end result was disastrous. Today, the disciples could have missed out on feeding the 4,000 if Jesus had stopped there with them. But the Lord continued. Out of his compassion for the 4,000, he continued to feed them. So my friends, what self-imposed limitations are we putting into our lives that is really a sign that we are spiritually blind? What is the remedy for inversion? Allow ourselves to truly believe that God loves us. He saw the crowds and had compassion. My friends, don't settle at I mean well. I say to you today, seek His face and trust His heart because God knows how to love us better than we do. So the next time someone says, we mean well, tell him, let's pray. The second cause of spiritual blindness is hardening of the heart. We see from today's passage that the Pharisees and Herod were tied together with yeast. What is yeast? Through a chemical process, yeast creates bubbles and that causes bread to puff up. And Jesus was essentially warning us about the spiritual influence of the Pharisees and Herod. The Pharisees were religious leaders. They seriously thought that they were doing well spiritually. Herod was curious and he focused on his earthly kingdom. He was curious about the things of God and often invited holy people to come and talk to him. But it was curiosity without commitment leading him to lead a cruel life. The Pharisees, however, were religious leaders. 
of all people in the world. They should have understood the heart of God, but they didn't. So I ask you today, how do we tell whether there is yeast in our lives? Because Jesus specifically warned us about bad spiritual yeast. Two signs that our hearts are hardened. Firstly, we minimize sin. In the eyes of the Pharisees, they were not sinners at all. They were evaluators. They were consultants. They were religious consultants. They were commentators. They were there to check Jesus out. They were not there to learn from Him. And in their own eyes, they were not sinners. We minimize the sin in our lives. And that is a sure sign that our hearts are hardened. Sin, I say to you, is never personal. The Pharisees minimize sin in their lives. Today, I ask you, in what way are you minimizing sin in your lives? Because that is the sure sign that your hearts are hardened. I remember a young man sharing with me about his struggle with pornography. And one of the striking things that he said to me was, this is only a personal sin. This is only a personal sin. Everybody that he knows in his class, most of them probably got involved with it at some point in time. Guess what? In the book of Genesis, Abraham chose to do exactly the same culturally appropriate thing. He married and slept with his servant girl. And guess what? Till today, this conflict continues. Sin, like yeast, explodes in our face. Brothers and sisters and friends, to you and I who keep thinking, keep allowing ourselves to be deceived into thinking that our sin is just personal today, Jesus warns us clearly that might be a sure sign of the hardening of our hearts. Our experience tells us that sin is never personal, isn't it? You ask any child, who have gone through the trauma of seeing their own parents divorce. Sin is never personal. What happens when our hearts harden and we start minimizing sin? It will impact our ability to communicate truth into the lives of others. I've worked with young adults for many years and over the years, many Christian parents would come to me and say, can you please talk to my kids? They are going through a tough time. Some of them are stuck in this particular sin and that particular sin and that peculiar behavior pattern. And I would ask them, how has your child been? And they often say, oh, I can't communicate with him anymore. He's in his room most of the time and so on and so forth. The focus of the conversation is always about the spiritual condition of their children. And very often I'll ask them, when was the last time your child saw you impacted by God? Some would say, I made an appointment to talk to you about the children. Let's focus on them. Typically, well-to-do, well-mannered parents. Polite, professional outsource arrangements. Think about it. One of the most com painful conversations that I've had was with a family. Parents were trying to convince their child to turn away from sin. The child turns around and asks the parents, 
I have not seen God change you and I have lived with the two of you for more than 20 years. Why are you asking me to use a solution that you yourself have steadfastly refused over the years? Parents, and I'm a parent myself, I understand the difficulties of Singaporean life. I understand how difficult it is to grind day after day after day for the well-being of our kids. I understand how tempting and how easy it is to let go of spiritual matters for the sake of temporal joy. I understand how easy it is to shift our focus from God to the things of this world. But I would like to share with you this basic principle. As parents, we cannot command our kids' souls to turn to God. We cannot command their souls to always follow Jesus. But what we can do is to leave them a legacy that God can indeed change people. And if every day that they have lived with us, for that few decades that they are with us, they see the power of our God moving in our lives when we apologize to one another after a quarrel, when they see us forgiving our spouse even when our spouses have done things that are unforgivable, when they see us trying our best to depend on God and tapping on His power to change our behavior so that we can communicate with in-laws who are behaving like outlaws, I say to you, at least they will remember this, that if ever I needed someone to change my life, it will be Jesus. So I ask you today, in all our Singaporean Christianized parenting, are we blunting the impact of truth in our children's lives? If so, may I ask you to repent of your sins. A famous line that people have given to me over the years whenever I encourage them to do so is this. Some things take time. I'm sure some of you know by now I'm a very direct pastor. My question to you is, how much time, how long more? How long do you want to keep waiting before you allow your children an opportunity to see the impact of truth in your own life and in so doing, buy them that cinema ticket to observe a life well lived in Jesus? How long are you prepared to harden your heart? Is your concern for your child's soul matched by your concern for the condition of your own soul. When we keep blunting the impact of truth in our children's lives day after day after day with our hardened hearts and with our sinful choices, especially with the way that we relate with our spouses, my friends, I say to you, one day there will be pain that will pierce the center and the core of your being. And I urge you as Christian parents, I urge you as a fellow parent who has struggled with my own children, I urge you, reconnect with God today.
At this point, I wish to stress that not all sinful kids have spiritually blind parents. I don't want to add stress to a particularly difficult situation because I understand that as parents, very often in our own minds, we are wondering where have we gone wrong, even when we may not have gone wrong. But even if we are not spiritually blind, I say to you, when we are struggling with our kids, we need to be spiritually fit because Satan wants our children's souls. Satan wants our souls. I'm aware of parents or friends who are hurting because their loved ones are straying from God. The best thing we can do is really to first reconnect with God ourselves, allow Him to heal us, to refresh us, to clean up our lives, and to do whatever He needs and wants to do with our hearts. And as the people around us, as our children continue to watch this ongoing refreshing of the Spirit, they will be forced to reckon with the reality of God. So even if you are a parent who is not spiritually blind, today I say to you, do not allow the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod to creep into your soul. Because when we do that, we never know what is the outcome. Never minimize sin and never ever blunt the impact of truth into our own lives because it will explode in our face. How then do we turn to God? How then do we belong to Him? What is the remedy? When we read the passage today, it is really very beautiful. What did Jesus say about these people who came to Him for this miracle? They have already been with me three days, and they have nothing to eat. Some of them have come a long distance. My friends, are you and I willing to be people who will dedicate time just listening to Jesus? Just like there are 4,000 people. They have come a long way. They have stuck around for three days just to listen to Jesus. Perhaps you find that spiritual truth seems hard to come by. Look at the story. After they finished feeding the 4,000, what happened? The disciples were wondering about physical bread when Jesus was talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. The disciples were blur people. In Singlish, blur sotongs. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. But they hung on. They continued with Jesus. So my friends, Stick around. In doubt, stick around. And now look at how Jesus healed the blind man. The blind man was brought by people to Jesus. Build a faith community. A group brought the blind man to Jesus and they begged him to heal the blind man. Today, what is your Christian community like? What is the Christian community that you're involved in like? What are you focused on? For some of us, we are involved in CGs. I'm a young adults pastor, and I know that it's so easy at that age to form CGs, confused groups, whereby we are all focusing on who am I, when what Jesus is saying to us today is, find out who you belong to. So don't form confused groups, form cell groups that really 
value truth in our lives. For some of us, as we grow older, our CGs are just cholesterol groups, where we basically focus on feasting and socialization. But today, this humble story of how Jesus healed a blind man should be a powerful reminder to us that fundamentally we are called to bring each other to Jesus. Once we let go of that, my friends, our association with one another becomes purposeless and meaningless. How do we belong to Him despite our pain? Many years ago, I had an opportunity to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus, with an old woman who had just lost her son suddenly to a car accident. Very handsome son, according to her. She had always been so proud of him, and she lost him to a car accident suddenly. She was in a lot of pain. She went into severe depression. After a few years of going into depression and taking a lot of medication, she decided, I'm going to start dedicating time just to listen to what Jesus had to say. Over the next few months of watching her, it was amazing. This was an illiterate woman. An illiterate woman who decided that her only way out was Jesus and she started to get an audio Bible. She started listening to audio because she cannot read and she started to memorize scripture. And as she memorized scripture, she started to share her story about how one sentence at a time, one truth at a time, she can feel the trickle of divine rain trickling into her parched heart. Her heart that had died slowly came alive again. She started building a faith community, joining people who believed in Jesus, and she started bringing other people to the Lord. A person who lost her son, a person who is illiterate, a person who had so little education, she struggled to understand the words in the Bible. But the Holy Spirit continued to teach her. I ask you today, are you willing to let God trickle truth into your heart? If today you are willing to let go of the pain in your heart and invite Him to stand at the center of that pain, I say to you, you are so close to belonging to Jesus. As I close, I just want to read this passage that was read for us today. Who is it that I'm asking you to belong to? They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around once more. Jesus, who had been so busy feeding 5,000 people, feeding 4,000 people, once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Are you spiritually blind today? Will you believe and belong 
and finally allow your heart to come home. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your patience. We thank you that you are God who holds us by our hand, who leads us out of the hustle and bustle of village life, of city life, just to draw us to yourself. I pray for those who are listening to this sermon today. I pray and ask that as they have listened to your word, the scales may fall off our eyes and that we may see. I pray that you may help us in our unbelief, that we may start on our journey of believing that you truly love us. And I pray that for those who are hurting, their hearts may truly come home to you today as they discover the joy of belonging to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. For reflection today, would I allow myself to believe that God loves me? Would I allow myself to belong to Him wholeheartedly through repentance? Would I choose to belong to Jesus and build a faith-filled community? Let's spend a few quiet moments and respond to Jesus. Jesus.